0: Chapter six of the Short Line War by Merwin Webster This Librivox recording is in the public domain. Chapter six Judge Black There are two kinds of businessmen, those who make their business at once work and play, a means of acquiring wealth and a most exciting game whose charms make all other games seem flat and unprofitable, and another class who, though they may enjoy work, turn for recreation to whist or philanthropy or golf porter belonged to the latter class he went into the fight against jim weeks simply because he hoped it would make him richer and it did not occur to him that he could enjoy the action on wednesday morning he sat in his office wondering if he could not get away to the truesdale golf links for a match that afternoon he looked over the ground carefully and could see no way by which weeks could save himself from defeat for the control of Tillman City gave C. and S C a majority of the stock. Weeks's allies were deserting him, so that he now had a bare majority in the board of directors. Anyway, McNally would be on the ground in case Jim should try to do anything. "'Well,' thought Porter, "'I'll go. I guess it's safe enough.' He had closed his desk when the door opened and an office boy came in with a telegram. Porter tore it open listlessly, but his indolence vanished as he read the first line the message was from manchester and it read as follows m and t subscription book stubs show issue of nine thousand shares new stock to weeks myers and spencer ten percent paid dated yesterday powers when a man finds himself in an ambush or when an utterly unexpected attack is made upon him he shows what he is It was characteristic of Porter that after the moment of dazed unrealization had passed, he began almost mechanically to plan a break for cover. He wished that he had not gone into the fight, and berated his stupidity in not foreseeing the move. It had not occurred to him that the subscription for the stock had not closed long ago. After a few minutes of vain search for an avenue of retreat, he saw that it was too late to do anything but fight it out. Jim Weeks was not likely to let an antagonist off easily. He called to his secretary. "'Telephone Shields to come over here, will you, as soon as he can, and ask McNally to come, too.' While he was waiting for them, he sat quite still in his big chair and thought hard, but he could see no way of countering the blow. The two men he had sent for came into the office together. Porter did not rise With a nod of greeting, he handed the yellow envelope to McNally, who whistled softly as he caught its import, and passed it on to Shields, an attorney for the CNSC, an emotionless, noncommittal man. "'Hm. It looks as though that beat you,' he said slowly. Porter lost his nerve and his temper, too, for a moment. He rose quickly and took a step toward the lawyer. "'Hell, man!' he exclaimed angrily. "'We can't be beat!' "'We've got to get out of this some way. "'That's what you're here for.' "'Then he recovered himself. "'I beg your pardon, Shields. "'Sit down and we'll talk this business over.' "'For nearly an hour, the three men sat in earnest consultation. "'Then the secretary was called in. "'Find out if Judge Black is in Truesdale,' said Porter. "'If he is, I want to talk to him.' "'Then he turned to Shields. "'That's our move,' he said.' "'We can allege fraud on the ground that the stock was issued secretly "'and with the purpose of influencing the election. "'Black's the man for that business.' "'It isn't much of a case, mind you,' said Shields. "'I'm afraid that Weeks's action is not illegal, "'and that a court would sustain it. "'But it's possible to raise a question that it will take time to decide.' "'That's all we need,' said Porter, with a sigh of relief. "'If we raise the question, Black will do the rest.' It was several minutes before the secretary came back from the telephone. "'Well, did you get him?' asked Porter. "'No,' said the secretary. "'He isn't in Truesdale.' "'Where is he?' "'I couldn't find out. His stenographer wouldn't tell me.' "'Wouldn't tell you, eh?' said Porter. "'Just get Truesdale again. I'll talk with that young man myself.' When he began talking, his voice was mild and persuasive, "'and Shields and McNally listened expectantly. "'As the minutes went by "'and he did not get the information he wanted, "'it became evident that the cocksure young man "'at the other end of the line "'was rasping through what was left of Porter's patience "'as an emery wheel does through soft iron. "'As might be expected, "'the process was accompanied with a shower of sparks. "'Porter's voice rose and swelled in volume "'until at last he shouted, "'You don't care who I am? "'Why, you damned little fool!' and then he stopped, for a sharp click told him that he was cut off, even from the central office, and he was not angry enough to go on swearing at an unresponsive telephone. For a moment he stood biting his lip in a nervous effort to control himself, then he joined feebly in the laughter the other two men had raised against him. A moment later he pulled out his watch, and turning to McNally, said, "'Keep your eye on Weeks, will you? I'm going to Truesdale on the 11.30 to find Black.' good-bye. Catherine was not surprised when twenty minutes later her father appeared and told her his plans. That was the train she had expected they would take. I'm going along too, she said. You're going to play golf this afternoon, aren't you? No, replied her father shortly. I'm not going to play golf. I'm going to play something else. The five-hour ride to Truesdale was for the most part a silent one, Catherine knew that her father was worried about something, and when he was worried, he never liked to talk. So she asked no questions and made no attempt to draw him away from what troubled him. Only when they reached Truesdale, and her father was about to help her into the cart that stood waiting, she stopped long enough to kiss him and say, "'Don't bother too much about it, Dad, and don't plan any business for this evening. I want you to take me out on the river.' As she turned the cart around and started up the broad, smooth street toward home, she frowned and thought, I wish he would tell me more about things. I believe I could help. Porter went straight to Judge Black's to continue his conversation with the stenographer, but it needed no more than a glance to convince him of the futility of trying to get any information from that source. The new stenographer was a boyish looking person who tried to convince one that he was much older than his appearance would indicate. He had big feet and a high voice. He used only the bottom notes for conversational purposes, save when in unwary moments nature would assert himself in a hoarse falsetto. He patronized Mr. Porter. He said that the judge had left town the week before, and that he would probably be back in about ten days. He would send him no messages whatever from anybody. Those were Judge Black's orders. The young man seemed willing to go on talking at great length, "'and he doubtless would have done so "'had not Porter suddenly left the room. "'The vice-president had thought of a possible clue. "'He walked rapidly to the railroad ticket office "'and spoke to the agent. "'Did Judge Black leave town a few days ago?' he asked. "'Yes, sir,' answered the agent. "'I don't remember just what day, but he went up on 22.' "'Oh, he went east, then. "'Do you remember where?' "'His ticket read to Chicago.' Porter walked away thoroughly disappointed. The chance had looked like a good one, and there seemed to be no other. But he must in some way find the judge. He could not wait for him. The first thing he did was to call up McNally by telephone and repeat to him what the agent had said. He told McNally to find out at what hotel the judge had stayed, if at any, and to look for anything which might prove a clue to his whereabouts. "'It's a wild goose chase, I know,' he concluded." but then you may manage to turn up something he knew that mcnally would do everything that could be done in chicago toward finding the missing judge so he went to work along other lines judge black was a member of two fishing clubs one at lacheneau islands near mackinaw and the other about forty miles north of minneapolis so porter sent long and urgent telegrams to both these places then he began making long shots working through a list of more or less likely places which his knowledge of Black's taste and habits enabled him to get together. Just before dinner, a message came from McNally. Black at Sherman House Friday. Clerk says he took 3.30 train on Northwestern for Lake Geneva. Can run him down in morning. Thursday morning, the two little telegraph boys at Lake Geneva and the one at Williams Bay had a busy time of it, for Porter and McNally, between them, kept the wires hot but neither hide nor hair of judge alonzo black could they discover from ten o'clock on through an interminable day the messages kept coming back not delivered at half past four porter telephoned his lieutenant to go to the lake and continue the search in person at seven katherine and her father sat down to dinner she had known all day that something was going wrong with her father's affairs and she could read in his silent preoccupied manner That he had not yet been able to see a way out of the difficulty. She knew that she could not make him forget his troubles. Many vain attempts had taught her that. So she waited. The long dinner wore on Porter's nerves. Once he rose suddenly and walked toward his library, but stopped short when he reached the door and came back to the table. Then he drummed on the arm of his chair. Two days more of this, he said with a nervous laugh and that man Black will have my life to answer for. Judge Black, asked Catherine, what has he done? Done? He's disappeared off the face of the earth just at this particular moment when I've got to have him here. Why, cried Catherine, I know where he is. He's at the Grand View Hotel. She paused and leaned forward, her elbow on the table, and her hands clasped before her. It's some place up in Wisconsin that sounds like Alpaca. Wapaca, that's it. Grandview Hotel, Wapaca, Wisconsin. Are you sure that's right? he asked. How do you know? Mr. West told me, she answered. There was such a good joke on him in the paper. I meant to tell you about it. But Porter was smiling over something else. After a moment he said, "'We'd have been swamped long ago in this M&T business "'if it hadn't been for the kind services "'of that wise and valuable young man, West. "'I think I'll pay him a regular salary after this, "'to keep him on the other side in all the fights I get into. "'Lord, what a fool he is!' "'He left the room so abruptly "'that he did not see how Catherine's cheeks reddened, "'nor how her lips pressed together in vexation. "'If he had, he would not have known the reason for it "'any more than Catherine did.' Rainbow Lake is pretty in the daytime, but it is beautiful under the moonlight when you can stretch out distances and imagine that the lights at Bagley Landing are those of a city twenty miles away, and when the solid pine groves on Maple and Government Islands loom up big and black. The judge was enjoying his vacation the better for its lateness. He had bolted his supper early enough to secure his favorite chair in the best part of Piazza, A mandolin orchestra was playing a waltz from the serenade, and playing it well, the judge thought. He threw away the match with which he had lighted his third cigar, to keep off the mosquitoes, he blandly told his conscience, and leaned back in the Morris chair, thinking how congruously comfortable it all was, now that he had his own clothes, and the busman could work without soiling his other suit. A clerk came out of the office, peered about in the half-light for a moment, and approached the judge touching him on the shoulder. "'Judge Black,' he said, "Truesdale wants to talk to you on the phone.' Five minutes later, the legal luminary came out of the telephone box. He was swearing earnestly, but softly, out of deference to the candy and cigar girl. He walked slowly across the office. "'There's a train for Chicago at 8.30, isn't there?' he asked. "'Yes,' said the clerk. "'Do you want to take it?' There was another pianissimo interlude, "'at the end of which the clerk was given to understand "'that he should order the bus for that train. "'Then the judge went back for his chair, "'but it was occupied by a little girl "'who was just too old to be asked to sit somewhere else. "'As Jim Weeks had said, Thompson wouldn't fight, "'and Porter realized this quite as well as Jim. "'The recalcitrant vice-president "'played no part in Porter's calculations "'except as a somewhat blundering and obstinate tool.' but on Friday morning, Thompson's office-boy announced Mr. Porter. Porter stated his case clearly. It was his plan to remove Weeks and Myers by judicial order from the Board of Directors. That would leave the opposition a majority of the Board. Then Thompson was to call a meeting and assume control of the books. That done, the battle would be decided, and the election a mere formality. Thompson was badly rattled, for he hadn't a grain of sand in his composition— but in the end, he conquered his fears and agreed to play the part Porter assigned to him. At half past two, a disjointed looking train panted into the Harrison Street station, and Judge Black climbed disconsolately out of the smoker. There was a coating of cinders on the top of his derby hat, there were drifts of cinders in the curl of the brim, there were streaks of cinders along the lines where his coat wrinkled, and there was one cinder in his left eye which gave him so leery and bibulous an aspect that an old lady who narrowly escaped colliding with him turned and looked after him in indignation, being half-minded to go back and plead with him to lead a better life. It was fifteen minutes later when the judge reached Porter's office, but before three o'clock he had signed an order enjoining James Weeks and Johnson Myers from acting as directors of, or from interfering in any way with, the affairs of the corporation known as the Manchester and Truesdale Railroad Company, and from voting the nine thousand shares of stock in that company which had been issued to September twenty fifth. End of chapter six.